Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 95. I have a wonderful guest to share with you today, Dr. Maya Sheetreed. She is a pediatric neurologist who, as she describes it, stepped out of the box. She uh, is an herbalist as well, an urban farmer. She's an author of The Dirt Cure, which is uh, which has the strapline healthy food, healthy gut, happy child. Uh, back in 2016 that was brought out and it's such a beautiful book. I sadly had to leave my copy in my old house uh, when we moved from the water damage building situation, but it's the kind of book that I really want to bring back onto my shelf because it's just a wonderful reference. Uh, whenever you need a reminder that dirt is magical stuff that we need to interact with way, way more, it's the book for you. And uh Gosh, she's been featured in the New York Times, Sky News, the Dr. Oz Show. Um, she's the founder of the Terrain Institute where she teaches terrain medicine, earth-based programs for transformative healing. So while today we're focused a little bit on the dirt cure, the book itself, and what we can learn from connecting more with our earth, uh, we do talk a lot about transformational healing and some of the things that she has brought into her toolbox as a practitioner um, with the studies she's done with Indigenous communities and healers in Ecuador uh, and uh, and looking into the sacred and tapping into spirituality and how we can bring that into our healing journeys. Uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful chat. So I hope you enjoy that. Now, before I spring into that chat, I just want to remind you that all throughout the month of July, you Aussies out there have the amazing offer from the Rosehip Specialists. Their entire Rosehip Plus range is 40% off for you this month. So please do make the most of that. It is a gorgeous range. Not only do you have the wonderful pure Rosehip oil option, and I love the little roll-on for travel. I I love that product. Um, But also the little glass dropper bottle, which you can make your own serums with. Um, I'm a big fan of making a little serum with a few drops of Copaiba, frankincense, sense um, and uh, a little drop of lemon at nighttime. You don't want to put lemon on your face in the daytime um, because of uh, the uh, sun's effect on and lemon oil and discoloration that can occur, but it's a wonderful nighttime treatment. Um, I've actually got quite a few little ideas for DIY serums and things in the Lotox Life book, which is now out. So Aussies and New Zealanders, you guys can get this already in any good bookstore near you or, of course, for the international audience, there's book book depository um, for online purchases in Australia. There's Booktopia. I've got all the details in the show notes for you today to be able to grab yourself a copy and grab yourself some rosehip oil and get making your own stuff. Uh, not only do they have that oil, but they have some beautiful skincare uh, in the range. The cream cleanser is something that I gave my auntie when she was out. She hates fragrances, even natural ones in products. And that cream cleanser is just gorgeous. And it is such inexpensive uh, um, skincare, even when it's full price. So as you can imagine, 40% off is a big deal. It's a wonderful way to try the product and I hope you really enjoy it. Another little thing I just wanted to mention was that our Patreon community is growing every day. Right now, we are in the thick of having great conversations, shares. Uh, there's a little competition in there to win a book stack with all the um, people who post a picture of their Plastic Free July inspiration through the month in the club. And uh, and really, it's a space where I want the podcast to come to life with the conversations that we have, with the little challenges we set ourselves. Last month, of course, we had the wonderful Melissa Brown on 
talking about how money plays a role in living a low tox life. And, um, and so we did a financial detox and we didn't buy anything new that we didn't need that was outside of the essentials. And it was really wonderful to see people sharing what they were doing to save cash. Uh, and the best thing about this club is you get to decide how much you pay to be a part of it per month. The um, pricing in on the Patreon site is in US dollars, something to keep in mind for the Aussies. But people are spending as little as $1 or $2 a month, right up to $20 a month. Uh, it really is just up to you. I want everybody to feel like they have access for less than a price of a cup of coffee a month to join the conversation, to join part of the challenges and to join all the exciting plans that I have for us as we grow and we're able to do more and more stuff for our club members. So without further ado, I'm going to just jump straight into this wonderful chat with Dr. Maya. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed having it. Enjoy guys. Hey Maya, how are you? I'm great. It is fabulous to have you on the show today. And I know we're going to talk about so many good things. We're going to talk dirty and that might not mean what you think it means out there, guys. Uh, so I'd love to start though by asking you, um, I guess about little girl Maya. I'm always curious to see how people end up where they are today doing what they do today and what childhood looked like and whether there were any kind of things that were already giving you a clue as to what you might do one day. So were you like born and raised hippie, playing in the garden, making mud pies, or was it more of an epiphany that came later for you to connect with dirt in the powerful way that you do? I mean, I think, um, you know, I think that I I was not – raised in a hippie way. However, um, when, when I grew up, I mean, I grew up in suburbia, but you know, there weren't cell phones. Um, there weren't, you know, it was, it was the 1970s and parents like really weren't that concerned with the details of what their kids were doing today. <laughs> we were home when it got dark. It's so, so true, isn't it? I was the same in the eight, early eighties, um, mid eighties. And yeah, we would be out all day. Yeah. So for me, late seventies, early eighties, I was, I remember being like six, seven years old and I was out with the neighborhood kids and we would just kind of go around as a little pack or sometimes I'd go off by myself, you know, once I was eight and up and I'd find a Creek to play by. There was a Creek near our house where, I mean, God knows what kind of trouble I probably could have gotten into, <laughs> but I just would sit and play. I don't even know what I did there exactly. I mean, I touched the stones, I'd look for water rats, I'd pretend things. And, you know, we did have a garden though. And, um, you know, I did make, I did roll down hills and make mud pies and, generally came home filthy at the end of the day, not because I was trying to connect to nature. It was just being a kid. Yeah, it was being a kid. And I think, you know, it is very different now for both kids and adults for so many reasons. But, um, you know, I do. It's funny. I mean, I it, whether it was an epiphany or not, I mean, I think, you know, it's sort of like pulling layers back of an onion mm. because you know, you start out and you're just immersed in it. You're not necessarily thinking like, I love this and I value this. And sort of as, as you get older and as you sort of learn how to reflect on these things, for me at least, it, it, there were probably a number of epiphanies over, over the course of my life. Yeah, sure. And so at med school, obviously at med school, we don't really tend to study dirt. Not yet, anyway. Um, they don't go hand in hand. So what attracted you to medicine, um, specific neuro specifically neurology? 
Um, well, you know, it's funny. My grandfather always used to tell me I was going to be a doctor. Really? Um, yeah, like from when I was a really little kid and I kind of just felt like he just wanted me to be a professional, you know yes. what I mean? In my, <laughs> my mind, and I was always, because I didn't like people to tell me what to do, I was always like, no, I'm not. Um, and then, you know, the years went by and when I was thinking about what I wanted to do, um, you know, as I was going through college, I saw this amazing special called um, Healing and the Mind. And um, it was a, it was a television series where they looked at basically all the leaders in mind-body healing at the time. And there were some amazing stories about, um, you know, really how the mind can intervene. Like there was this story of a girl who had lupus mm. and the medication she was taking was toxic to her kidneys and she was no longer able to take it. Um, but when they stopped it, of course, her disease would flare up terribly. And so... Um, they started to give her castor oil every time she'd get orally, every time she'd get the medication. So she'd have this um, association. And then they stopped giving her the medication and continued to give her the castor oil. And her body responded as if she was getting the medication. Wow. Which blew my mind. Mm. And they said, this is this field called psychoneuroimmunology. And I thought, wow, like, that's what I want to do. Psycho neuroimmunology. This is like the coolest thing. And that's what I'm going to do. And I wrote actually my medical school essay about that. And um, they accepted me for some strange reason. I still don't understand. Oh, you were and, obviously uh, brilliant. It's all good. Well, you know, but <laughs> medical school is not always that exciting no, about no. people. Yeah, you're right. Things, right. And and yet, you know, I did get accepted and, and I went through my training. I went through, you know, first med school and then internship and residency and fellowship. And kind of by the end, I started to really remember. I was so immersed in it and I had, I got married and I had children and I thought, you know, I'm going to, like, it's all going to kind of come together. And then as I finished, I thought, wow, like, I never learned anything about that and I don't even see it anywhere and I don't even think it's a thing. Mm. And so then I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to figure it out myself. And that's kind of what I ended up doing. Amazing. And I think there's something beautiful about, I know this is what fuels and drives me too, is going to places where there are questions unanswered yet and trying to figure them out, or at least trying to pull together bits of information from everywhere that have hinted at things and, um, and then bringing them together in a way that makes more sense to move us forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I love, I love a good, a good puzzle mm. and a, you know, I like being a detective, but, but also, you know, for me, I mean, I don't, I feel like I'm always kind of full of ideas. And, um, so I don't, you know, I, I never want to do something that someone else can do. Like if other people can do it, I feel like I'll just do something. I'll, I'll just, just I'll go this something. way. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? I am absolutely 100% the same. Yeah. Um, so to your awesome book, because I, I really think there's just so much we can talk about in here and I'd love to head straight there. The Dirt Cure is obviously it, as I mentioned in the um, intro. You talk about how we sanitize our lives and that it's leading to significant health problems. Um, how do you? How does the use of antibiotics, hand sanitizers, bleach, etc., 
impact the health of our terrain for people who haven't really started to explore this yet? I think it's just so important that we really understand this. Um, and often, you know, a lot of health um, chats are so advanced that, you know, the humble beginner just curious today for the first time misses out on those really essential reasons why we need to look at this. So go for it. Yeah, well, you know, I don't even think this is like a question just for beginners because, um, you know, even in integrative medicine or functional medicine, you know, whatever we want to call it, there's a lot of use of antibiotics and antivirals and antiparasitics. And we still have this idea that, you know, um, microbes are, are potentially bad. Mm. And um, so I, I think this is a really a question that has to be asked and considered, um, you know, for everybody. And, and really what it is, is like, you know, first of all, most people now know that we have this microbiome. And the microbiome is all these organisms, kind of invisible, unseen organisms, um, invisible to the naked eye that live in and on our bodies yeah. and, um, and around us, right, in the world around us. But, but as far as it living on our body, actually, they, they live in our gut's primarily and on our skin, but throughout, and we have different microbiomes, they have different makeup, if it's in your ear, in your mouth, you know, in your digestive tract, etc. Um, and they communicate with the rest of our body. In other words, we're very much like a, a universe um, with very complex, um, you know, with very complex organisms that are, that are synergistically kind of running things. And so, when we use antibiotics, just for instance, it, it's really disruptive to that com those communities. Yeah. Uh, and we know, like from science, you know, published science, that one course of antibiotics can change the microbiome for up to a year. Yeah. So we constantly need to also be maintaining and feeding that microbiome and and kind of reseeding it in a sense, and so. Like part of how we do that is the food that we eat. Part of it is um, not sanitizing everything, right? Mm. Like thing, having a pet or um, not using bleach all the time, you know, when we clean or using sponges instead of dishwashers, all those things that we've been grossed out by because we thought, oh, well, this is dirtier. This makes us dirtier and there's more germs and, you know, you can see like, studies published, there are more bacteria if you use a sponge and everyone's like, oh no, well, we're going to use the dishwasher. It turns out that if you use the dishwasher, you're more likely to have allergies and autoimmune kinds of conditions than if you use the sponge and have that biodiverse bacteria, which is really what we need. Same as if we have access to pets, mm. you know, I get chickens um, and I have a dog and they bring a whole different microbiome in whatever contact I have with them. I garden, right? So I'm getting out in the dirt and dirt is incredibly biodiverse. I trail run. So I run in the forest when I go out to exercise. And all of these are different ways, you know, plus eating fermented foods and a lot of the things, you know, that we, we already know about. All of these are ways that we maintain and kind of nourish um, our microbiome so that it can maintain and help us stay in balance. Awesome. And so true. Um, I, I'm going to come back to the point where you destroyed my world though, Maya, with the dishwasher comment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
and a whole bunch of other people are like, what? We have to actually start hand washing now. Um, can we maybe meet in the middle and half half this and hand wash our pots and pans at the end of a meal with our sponge and dishwash the rest? Would that be okay? Well, here's what I think. I mean, I think first of all, people do, do have their minds blown by that. But, you know, I think on, on the one hand, you know, we don't have to be scrubbing in general, mm-hmm. scrubbing, you know, vacuuming and kind of going as crazy with, you know, disinfecting our homes. Yeah, or that's the main message. I get it. Yeah, great. Right? So that's like saving us time because like you don't have to whip out the bleach and you know, disinfect everything. Um, nor do you have to always wash with a sponge, but I just think, you know, and I use a dishwasher, I mean, for, for certain things, but I'm also, you know, I'm also using a sponge for certain things. So it's, I think kind of like just maintaining a certain amount of that biodiversity and not just, you know, always going for sterile, sterile, sterile. Cause we thought at one time that being sterile was the equivalent of being healthy. And, and actually, way back when Louis Pasteur first came out with germ theory, Mm -hmm. um, people stopped eating yogurt. They stopped eating sourdough bread because they thought it was contaminated because they found that there was, right? So we really like to go to the extreme and kind of the opposite direction. And of course, you know, the real point is that being sterile, I mean, sure, if someone, if you're in an operating room, Mm -hmm. you know, yes, being sterile is, is a good thing. And, and, um, you know, otherwise I think like using a bar of soap and washing your hands is, is a great practice. And, um, also getting outside and getting dirty and, you know, not getting meticulous about, about being sterile is, is actually far more healthy the rest of the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of these products that sterilize, like my husband had to have emergency finger reconstruction last week because of, um, he's a furniture maker and he drilled a hole through his middle left finger. Thank God it was like the least important finger in the whole picture of things. So we're, we're very thankful. But, uh, you know, I saw the ingredients of the sterilizing little pumps that you you have to use on entry. And luckily I had a more natural version in my bag. Thank you, Dr. Bronner. But, um, yeah, I was shocked at not only like the sterilizing components of them, but several hormone disruptive ingredients as well, like the parabens and um, and phthalates with the synthetic fragrance. It was mind-blowing. I was like, oh, my gosh, and the poor nurses and doctors are using this stuff all day, every day. So in that context, um, given uh, you would know being in the medical profession, like would it be okay to use like a Young Living Thieves or a Dr. Bronner sterilizing spray yourself if you were in those environments, you know, or do you have to use the stuff that's in the hospital kind of thing? Um, I mean, I think, you know, whatever happens in like the operating room, Mm. you know, that's, although I, I do believe that one day that is going to even shift yeah. somewhat, but, um, there's quite a lot of, of, um, published research now on essential oils mm. and, um, you know, most of them are in surgical journals. And the reason why is because, um, people would get antibiotic resistant, resistant, um, wound infections following surgery or injury. And, um, what they found was that almost every essential oil that they measured in terms of antibiotic properties um, was 
effective mm. at um, controlling antibiotic resistant wound infection. And I'm talking like MRSA, like the kinds of infections that are, are aggressive um, antibiotic resistant infections. So um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, for me, you know, I do use essential oils. Let's say if I'm, you know, going somewhere like on the subway, you know, mm, in the winter. Yeah, totally. Season, exactly. You know, and, and that's what I recommend even to families, you know, that I see in my practice is, um, is using a blend of essential oils like, like Thieves because each of those has, you know, properties that are antibiotic, um, but the blend obviously, you know, is a little more synergistic and, um, and there's data, mm, you know what I mean? That's right. It's, it's been stranded as woo, but it's really not. Mm, exactly. Um, so hopefully we will get there in a more traditional sense. And in fact, America's paving the way, like the, was it the FDA that requested that everybody go out there who sells triclosan um, containing products and prove that it's better to have triclosan in there than not? And they had two years to prove it scientifically. And no one could actually prove that having triclosan in all these disinfectants was actually making people safer. So they've now outlawed it. And um, and hopefully Australia will, will follow the lead on that because I was just like, wow, go America. That's amazing. It's a huge story. Step. Yeah, well, we, we lead the way now and then. Yeah, <laughs> now and then. That's a lovely, politically correct way to say so much more. Yes. <laughs> I would not call us the, the leaders in this area, no, but I'm, no. I'm happy when there's a, when there's a, and, ha, you know. It was a happy surprise, delight, right? Delight. Yeah. <laughs> when something happened here, yeah. <laughs> So sometimes, you know, I, I'm very conscious of when we do a show and we talk about, you know, um, the negative impact of antibiotics and how it impacts our gut microbiome for up to a year, etc. People, I don't want people ever feeling guilt, shame, being in a dark place mentally about having had to be on antibiotics or, you know, sometimes there is a, a life or death situation. These little things can be quite handy. Um so to that point, are there any tips that you have um, that are absolutely the best ways that you've seen um, in, in both the research and in practice to rehab after a course of antibiotics? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, obviously, and I think it is important to, to state it that antibiotics can be life-saving. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think I'm very grateful, whether it be antibiotics or other kinds of medications, I'm grateful that they exist. It, the problem is um, that we tend to overuse them because um, we've become very rigid in our medical system and we've sort of forgotten about all our other tools other than pharmaceuticals and surgery. Mm. So you know, that's really where um, I think, you know, both prevention and as you say, kind of rehab afterwards is is important and we need to be thinking about things like botanicals and food and, you know, being out in nature and, um, you know, all of, all of the things that, that I write about in the dirt cure and, and other things that we, that we've been talking about. Um, but definitely, you know, I'm grateful that we have these, that we have these tools at our disposal. Um, in terms of recovering, I mean, I think, you know, all, all the things I've mentioned in terms of, um, in terms of being exposed to diverse microbes. So, 
you know, going and getting your hands in the dirt in the garden, going out for, you know, walks in, in the woods or in nature, um, you know, playing with your pet, eating fermented foods, um, eating diverse, a diverse diet, because what you really want is, is biodiversity, um, in your, in your microbiome and the way that you get biodiversity in your microbiome is by having biodiversity in your diet, mm. which means lots of different kinds of foods, lots of different kinds of especially fruits and vegetables, um, which have prebiotics, which feed the, the probiotics, which are the, the beneficial bacteria, things like leeks, things like um, uh, garlic and onions and, and burdock and, you know, kind of cool foods like that. Yeah. Um, so all of those things are really important. And that, and that biodiversity is really what's so critical because um, our, our immune systems are, are really very social. And oh, that's so a beautiful way to put it. They, yeah, they like to, they like to like get lots of, they like to kind of meet and greet lots of different kinds of compounds. They're into networking. So, <laughs> yeah, and that's really the truth. Yeah. I mean, obviously they can be fierce, you know, but, but the goal is really to kind of like socialize them. And so you want them to kind of become familiar with lots of different kinds of foods and microbes and compounds. And then when they see something um, unusual, they're a lot more likely to kind of recognize, you know, mm. their like what it is and not panic, yes. you know, otherwise they kind of get really paranoid. And like, you know, if they've only seen a few kinds of microbes or a few kinds of foods, then when they see something unusual to them, you know, these, these immune cells that kind of live throughout our digestive tract and our skin and the rest of our body, then they kind of like get paranoid and they freak out and they start to kind of go into attack mode and unnecessarily sometimes. And are you, and, are and, you hinting at um, the huge problem that is autoimmune disease today with that? Yeah. Mm. Allergies and autoimmune disease is really coming from our immune systems, in, in large part, our immune systems being um, under underexposed to microbes especially and to different diverse foods and to kind of the natural world being out in nature because that's what really socializes our immune system mm. and makes so giving a baby rice porridge every day for four months at the start of their lives is probably not the best idea. Well, right. <laughs> and I always start with, with vegetable and fruit. Yeah, of you course, know, with, of course. But, okay. um, but also, I mean, you know, for, for those who can do it, you know, breast milk is actually like a very diverse, um, you know, inimitable and diverse kind of food because it has so many different kinds of compounds in it. And a lot of those actually come from what the mom is eating, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Awesome. Um, and with autoimmune being a huge problem today, so is inflammation and so many chronic diseases stem from an inflammatory issue at the start of them. What kind of starring role, if you like, can dirt play in fighting chronic inflammation? Well, I mean, the idea really is that um, that the way that we kind of, like so inflammation has a role mm. and it's an important role, which, you know, it's important for like if you have a wound to heal that wound, you're you need localized inflammation 
that's the immune response coming in and doing what it needs to do to kind of help help get rid of what doesn't need to be there anymore and help kind of facilitate the healing mm. uh, pruning in the brain so as as you know babies and children grow up um, and and even in adulthood uh, less so we need to prune kind of the the um, connections in the brain that are no longer serving yeah so that's actually part of the inflammatory response and then obviously we want an inflammatory response when our when our immune system activates because because that's basically taking care of whatever it is we do need to get rid of. So the problem is really, um, you know, when inflammation kind of goes rogue and like, <laughs> yeah. that's such a, another great way to put that. Yeah. Um, and, and that actually, again, really comes from, um, it comes from actually like what we call, um, you know, when, when inflammation doesn't turn off, it's like, um, because the immune system is being chronically stimulated in a, and in a, and it's not resilient enough to kind of recover. It's not, it's not resilient. Mm. So, um, that's really the key is like, again, um, preventing inflammation, um, certainly from having biodiverse foods, organisms getting out into nature again, that's going to help the immune system regulate. But even once you have inflammation, um, that's certainly part of the healing process. Maybe not the whole thing, but it's foundational. hundred you know, percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember when I um, first, I had a huge inflammation cascade after a surgery a couple of years ago that was on a leaky eye, a leaky tear duct. Um, and it ended up being the straw that broke the camel's back. And the reason I had the leaky tear duct was actually because of mold exposure for years in an apartment we lived in for seven years. And, um, and so that inflammation cascade was, it was really just, you know, having a big whack of general anesthetic on top of a growing inflammatory, um, issue just ended up, you know, catapulting all the systems of the symptoms forward. And I remember at my absolute worst, and this was when I was sleeping one, two hours a night, very broken sleep, um, you know, twitches, tremors, like the whole SIRS picture just like blew up in my face. And I remember just wanting to be at the beach and just lying face down, head to the side, obviously, but in the sand. I just wanted to look at the water and lie there and just be there. And it was it was like my heart just wanted to connect to the earth and I remember it being such a powerful feeling um, or, or being in a park, you know, if I couldn't get to a beach. But I remember just being so drawn to nature being almost the only place that g gave me a sense of relief um, during that time. Um, so yeah, really amazing. It was, it was a, a very powerful, um, realization at how healing nature is if we listen. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listening to our bodies and listening to the earth. Right. And I think, I think, you know, there's, there's, again, there's, you know, I always, I always kind of laugh sometimes at the science, you know, and the studies that are done. Um, like we, like we need to have studies to prove that nature is beneficial to us and like, okay, you know, <laughs> if that's going to spend our time and money, that's fine because, you know, that's what we need to, you know, to reassure ourselves. But, um, there's actually a huge amount of literature still growing on, um, earthing. Oh, I know. Right. I've had, um, the beautiful Dr. Stephen Sinatra on the show a couple of times and he is just the hugest champion for earthing. He's so gorgeous the way he talks about it. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it's right there in the science, right? Especially around blood pressure. Well, and not just blood pressure, but inflammation, Mm. because when we have, you know, and all of us have a certain amount of inflammation just naturally, you know, or, or even just, um, part of what happens in inflammation is that we produce a lot of free radicals Mm. and Mm. they're kind of, you know, they go, they go around, um, because they're kind of very reactive, you know, they go around and, and damage cell membranes and other things in the, in the body. Um, and so what earthing does is so the earth, um, including like big rocks and the ground and everything there's, it's basically a, an unlimited flow of electrons constantly emitting this unlimited flow of electrons. And so, um, they neutralize those free radicals in the body. Mm. So when we're mm-hmm connected and that would be like lying on the ground or sitting on the ground or, um, you know, on a rock, let's say, or hugging a tree, um, or walking, but it has to be with, um, electroconductive materials on the bottom of the shoe. So it couldn't be with most sneakers because of the rubber. It would have to be with like a leather sole or a cloth sole, something like that. Then we get to benefit just passively in a certain way benefit from this flow of electrons that actually neutralizes the free radicals that come along with inflammation. And so the benefits are certainly for blood pressure and and things like that, but also um, actually reducing that inflammatory response. And also, of course, things like sleep and um, relaxation, a sense of well-being, like it's it's really across the board um, what earthing can do, but it, it it's very regulating too. It reduces cortisol levels. So that kind of stress response and adrenal response. So it doesn't surprise me at all mm. that you were so drawn to it. And it's so amazing. I mean, really, it sounds like, you know, the earth was calling you and saying, you know, I can help you heal. Oh, absolutely. And actually a girlfriend who is a, a shaman called me when she, she just called me for my birthday and it was right when all of this stuff blew up and she had never called me before. She was like a, a, you know, Facebook friend or we would see each other at the health shop cause she delivered her product there, but never had had that kind of personal relationship where you'd receive a phone call. I know it's hilarious these days how phone calls are like, Whoa, we're really taking this up a notch in our friendship. <laughs> but, um, but she called me and And I really believe she called me because she had to kind of tell me that my heart needed the the soil. Like, and that's what she literally called to say happy birthday. She asked me how I was. I said, well, actually, I'm really not so great right now. And all this stuff's just going down and my heart's being very crazy and and she's like, just, just put it on the earth. And, and it was just, it was a very strange thing to happen out of the blue like that. We haven't even spoken on the phone since I just popped her a, a little message to say, thank you for thinking of me. But, um, that was it. So these things happen, right? And you are a shaman. Am I correct? Yeah. Yes. I am a shaman practitioner. I mean, you know, obviously I'm not growing up in the, in the jungle and, you know, in my, in a tribe. So I, I don't want to, you know, ever appropriate that term, but I I have studied with those communities and, and with their, um, guidance and, and blessing I do practice. Amazing. And so you talk about a sacred partnership between nature and our bodies. So tell me a little bit about how you came to explore that as a, um, you know, as a medical doctor, what, what drew you to kind of bringing that into the work you do? 
Well, it's funny. I, you know, I talk about my son in the dirt cure, my youngest, mm. um, and, uh, he really, you know, took me on initially helped re- reveal to me a lot of what I needed to know to, for that book, yeah. um, which I had to do in order to help him because, you know, he was having, um, breathing issues and it turned out it came from soy and that took me on this whole journey of, you know, where does food come from and what's happening in his body and how is the gut related to the rest of the body and the brain. And this was before everyone was talking about it all the time. Um, so, so he took me on that journey and then, uh, you know, six years later, um, you know, he actually, you know, we had had mold in our, in our apartment and, and had moved out and came back, um, after really gutting it down to the studs. And, um, so there was really no more mold and it was tested and everything. And we came back and within a two weeks of being back in our apartment, um, he had a seizure <gasps> right near where the epicenter of the mold had been, wow. even though zero mold. I mean, it was completely gutted in that area. So, um, or had been. And so, uh, you know, it was funny because obviously I'm a pediatric neurologist. Um, and also I'm, you know, at the time was, was an integrative doctor and I was an herbalist and, used food and nutrition and plants. And I was, I was very engaged in healing a lot of really difficult, um, very chronically sick, uh, kids, especially with neurologic issues. And so I really was a little, I think I had a little bit of hubris then. And I Mm. thought really help anybody. I thought, you know, like I, there's, you know, there's nobody I couldn't at least help in some way. And, um, when that happened, when I kind of found him like that and I was holding him, after he woke up in my arms, I, I knew in that moment that there was no, I didn't have the tools to help him because I already was supporting him in a lot of ways after the mold exposure that he had had. And, and, um, for that to happen, I understood immediately that I was going to have to go on a journey to, um, find healing for him. And that it was something much more related to his, his spirit, you know, that, that it wasn't just his physical body, but his kind of emotional and, and spiritual body that needed, um, that needed attention. And so that really drew me onto, on a journey that took me to Ecuador into the jungle and, um, you know, studying with, uh, studying ethnobotany and plants and, and studying with, um, you know, an amazing PhD in ethnobotany, who is also a, a fourth generation shaman and learning with the, with the indigenous people there. So, um, he really kind of, I always call him my muse because he's really, um, you know, sent me on these journeys in a certain way. It's amazing how our children send us on journeys, isn't it? Yeah, they're, they're incredible spiritual teachers. And I always encourage people to, to look for, look for how they're teaching us because it's, um, you know, the things that happen are, are, you know, we would never wish for our children to be ill, obviously, and we would never wish for them to be taught in that way. But, but there are opportunities if we look for them, um, for things that we can learn. If we're, if we're in the situation, you know, we might as well walk away with, with, um, the new knowledge, <laughs> right? Oh, a hundred percent. And, you know, when every talk and workshop I ever give, especially related to, to food and environmental toxins, I always say, so think back to when you were a kid in your classroom, look around, like visualize all those kids that were there with you. 
and think about if the teacher then said to the class, okay, class, who's got an allergy or a respiratory condition or um, rashes, hives, eczema, dermatitis, um, psoriasis? Maybe one, two maximum children would put their hands up in that class. And think to today, if we ask that question of our children in a classroom, at least half of the hands are going to go up. And for me, that is like the, like I get goosebumps just thinking about asking that question in every workshop because it is such a powerful way for us to realize how our kids are screaming out to us to change things today about the way we have built and developed our world. And, uh, and they are just such powerful teachers and people always find, often start to look for and find this information once they've had kids. Yeah. Especially, you know, when you've had a a sick kid, Mm, Yeah, because it's like, um, you know, we, we weren't sick like this, you know, most of us as kids, I mean, you know, some people obviously were, but chronic illness, as you say, is certainly much more of an issue now. And, and, um, I do think it's a wake up call. I do. Mm. And what do you think in terms of having studied with a shaman, um, and, um, and far out, that sounds like the kind of excursion I want to go on. It sounded amazing. Um, what do you think that that has brought into, um, the way you now work with your patients and the kids? Um, yeah, I mean, I will say, you know, on the one hand, it is amazing. Um, but on the other hand, you know, that kind of journey is, it's, you know, it's never, um, you know, it's not all, it's not, it's, <laughs> I'm trying to think of how to say it. It's, it's like, um, you know, you, you kind of go at your own risk. Yeah, okay. I would kind of like, like, I think that we're in a period right now where we kind of have romanticized um, or idealized, you know, the whole idea of the of the shamanic path or the shamanic journey. But it's definitely, um, you know, it's it's sort of light and shadow together, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, you know, um, like I think that you know there are people who are called to do it, and I think that you know there that's a, an important thing to do. Um, but I think for a lot of people, it's sort of like, you know, it's not, it's, there's, there's like, there's sort of, it's got, it's, it's got its difficult parts, I guess is what I would say. Um, but that said, I mean, how does it, how does it enter into my practice is, you know, in, in the indigenous world, or at least with the people that I've studied with, um, there's no separation between physical, emotional, and spiritual. Um, so, you know, there's a physical body an emotional body and a spiritual body, and they're all part of the same person. And you, you can't treat a physical body without thinking about the emotional and the spiritual body. They're all connected. And in fact, physical illness is seen as really downstream. Mm. So really you're starting with spiritual health, then emotional health, then physical health. And, um, it's all about being in right relations. So, um, you know, this is what, you know, this is what I've been taught is, um, we want to be in good relations with ourselves, in good relations with the people around us, um, and other living beings around us and in good relations with our place with the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we're in good relations, then 
Um, you know, and that takes discipline, right? To, to be in good relation, you have to really have an awareness that, um, they're really raised in that awareness. And we've really, in many ways, lost our awareness, like for us to have to do a study to say we should be outside. You know what I mean? (laughs) Just put your damn feet on the ground (laughs) and just Um, feel it. Yeah. So, you know, that said, I mean, it definitely, um, has made me aware of needing to talk about, um, needing to talk about things that are, are not really being talked about. You know, we don't talk about spiritual health and I don't mean in a religious way, right. In like terms of organized religion, but, but we're not even talking about emotion, you know, emotional health very much. Mm. Um, you know, and what we do when someone, when someone is feeling, you know, grief or feeling sad or feeling frightened, um, even if it's legitimate to feel that way, um, we have very few tools to really support people in, in our kind of Western society. Um, so we pathologize it and, and we don't really have good ways to support them in many cases. Uh, I mean, we have, you know, therapy, um, which can be helpful. And then there's pharmaceuticals, which are used quite a lot. And, you know, perhaps sometimes it's important to use them, but I think if we could do better talking about, you know, these people who are so sensitive Mm. um, and are feeling the world so intensely, I feel like this is kind of my specialty now is, is that kind of work is working with the people who are really perceptive and really intuitive and feel the world so profoundly because they're, they're really, they're, they're really walking around with a gift, but they don't know how to take care of themselves. And so they end up with lots of diagnoses attached to them because they are, um, they're kind of sick in their, in their heart and sick in their, in their spirit. And, and we don't really know how to talk about it. Mm. And actually, um, your latest Instagram post, which was one that I loved and joked that I wanted the t-shirt on the quote, um, you say, I try to act nonchalant, but underneath I am chalant as F. And, um, and then you go on to ask, you know, do you think being sensitive is an insult? Let's bust some myths around that right now. Do you think in terms of actually realizing the gift of, uh, being a sensitive being, um, being an empath is really going to be one of the first major steps to healing our mental health crisis. Absolutely. Mm. Um, our mental health and our physical health crisis. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Because as you said, the physical is the downstream, right? So if we're working on the emotional, then a whole bunch of other stuff might not even manifest. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, that's something I would say is like in, in the indigenous communities, I mean, I would say like many of us in my connection to the earth that I've had over my lifetime, I've learned a lot of, a lot of, um, tools, you know, that I kind of derived almost on my own. Um, and then really like felt, you know, very kind of, um, validated, you know, when I started to learn with indigenous people, um, about these practices, because, um, you know, there are, there are times where I think like for some of us, and I think, you know, I would call myself, you know, definitely empathic. And I think, you know, very, very perceptive, you know, someone who kind of, I dream sometimes would dream about things before they happened, or I would sense things and then they would, you know, turn out to be true. And I think there are a lot of people like this. I don't think, you know, 
actually that it's necessarily even that unusual, mm. but I was aware of it. And I, first of all, didn't feel like I really, you know, that people really would believe, believe that. But, um, also it was really sometimes hard to walk in the world because it could be very difficult and painful mm. when you feel things so acutely like that. So, um, you know, there are ways that I remember when I was in Ecuador, actually writing a list of like, you know, things to things I can do when I, when I feel, you know, when I feel like I could die <laughs> from <laughs> that pain, you know, mm. and I don't mean, you know, I don't mean like depression or suicide or anything like that, but it's like walking around feeling this very acute sense of what's, you know, kind of the suffering of the world or the suffering of the people around us. Because when you're perceptive, you feel that mm. and they really practical, accessible ways to, to address those things. Absolutely. And do you find that you then like feeling the weight of that all around you, you had to build some tools to, um, feel the power of positivity in the face of those situations? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Mm. And I think of it really comes from the earth. Yeah. So that's really what I teach about now. And, you know, I'm actually, uh, will be very shortly like launching a, launching an introductory, um, course for, for the school I'm starting where we're really going to be going deep into, um, what, you know, what our bodies physical, emotional, spiritual, how they kind of talk to us and tell us what we, what they need, you know, and you're, you spoke about a perfect example of that, like lie down on the beach or mm. lie down and like your body was, you know, kind of communicating with you, but also was really, like I said, I mean, you know, it's no coincidence that this person that like you barely, you know, you don't really know that well, you don't communicate with that often gave you a call, mm. I feel, and said, Hey, this is what you need to do because it's, it's sort of the way that we get those kinds of communications from, you know, the universe or whatever you want to say that, you know, the earth is here, the earth is here to help you and the earth is here to help you heal. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. You've actually inspired me to give her a call <laughs> to just say crazy thing. That memory of you calling that day came up today in a show. Yeah. I think that's going to be important. Um, so something I was just thinking as I was listening to you talk about this reconnecting um, with our sensitive beings and seeing that as um, something empowering and a, an incredible journey to step into our power to do, it just kind of made me think there's a real parallel here happening in our chat today about having to reconnect literally full stop with everything and anything in any way, like reconnect with our earth, reconnect with our physical being, reconnect with our um, spiritual being. Uh, connection is really the theme I'm, I'm picking up over and over again. Yeah, I think it's very true that, you know, it's like we belong. We belong here, um, but we don't have a sense of belonging because we're so disconnected. Mm. So we're very isolated, each of us in our own little kind of space and we think that we're all alone in feeling these things but in fact um everybody's feeling this everybody's feeling it and it's the way you know like however we cope with it is um you know whatever the way we cope with our challenges you know yeah. and it can be it can be a lot of different things but um but it's absolutely true that you know it's our connection to ourselves our connection to each other 
and our connection to all the beings around us, you know, in the, the living world, which, you know, if you're a, if you're, you know, really connected to the earth, you're thinking about, you know, we might refer to plants as the plant people, right? And the tree people and the rock people, like there's a, there's very much, you know, looking at every being that's out there, um, as having its own kind of being part of our community, being in its own community and all these communities being connected. And so, you know, when you're in nature, you're really never alone Mm. and you're always connected. And until we kind of reconnect in that way, I think we're going to continue to feel this sense of disconnection and isolation. And, um, what's amazing though, is that when we do reconnect, it's first of all, it's actually very simple um, there are such simple ways to do it. I mean, just getting outside, yeah. right? Is it's 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 not as hard as it seems. Even though I think we throw up a lot of roadblocks around it in our current modern life, but once you start, the connection begins, and and it's very magical, really. Um, how how tremendously healing it is. Mm. It's kind of like um, I think for people who are still in that disconnect space, it's. I always liken it to having a bath. It's one of those things that you do and you go, God, I'd forgotten how good this feels when I get out here. I've got to reconnect to that feeling so that I'm attracted to doing this more. Every time. Mm. I hear that all the time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of uh, obviously having explored Indigenous healing um, uh, quite profoundly in, in your travels and in your research, can you share a couple of indigenous healing rituals and practices that have most fascinated you as you've gone out to explore them? I mean, there are, you know, many different, many different ways, but I think like a very simple one is, um, is just using like a brush of plants. So getting, you know, a a good handful, not just a little handful, but a big handful of, um, aromatic herbs, let's say, mm-hmm. and it could be, you know, whatever you have, rosemary, lavender, basil, um, chamomile, right? Whatever might be growing in the garden or whatever you might even get at the grocery store, you know, yeah. and it can also include flowers too. And, um, just making a big brush of them and then just, um, whether it's to yourself or to someone else, just taking it and starting from the top of the head, and working your way down, you know, face, head, neck, and just kind of tapping really on the body with it, kind of uh, lightly tapping the body and kind of doing that all down the body, down the hand, down the arms and hands, down the trunk, um, all the way down the legs to the feet. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's a very, it sounds very simple, Mm. uh, but it's, it's, it's really, beautiful and invigorating. And, you know, I've seen, um, some of my teachers when they do it, um, actually when they're doing it, you can see the plants start to turn black Really, over the process as they're kind of, you know, they would say drawing out these, um, kind of negative energies, all these things that we hold inside. So, Oh, wow. Um, you so know I'm doing that this afternoon, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and actually I, I, um, you know, I'm about to put up a video um, a free video on my, on my website, um, for, for people to, um, just download it so they can see exactly how I do it. Mm. Um, 
So that'll be available to people if they want to come to my website. But Beautiful. Um, but I, I think it's so important, right, to point out that we as humans feel like we need to know exactly how to do it. And, you know, it's like just feel, get the bush of all the good things and just start tapping just as you explained. Often we need to let go of feeling like we need to see the example and make sure we're doing it right. Like feel that you're doing it right. Like there's nothing wrong with trying to connect to that, right? Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And not that I'm saying don't put your video up, but I just think it's, I'm always fascinated that the number one um, post on my blog every day that gets viewed always at the absolute top is um, frequently asked questions on making broth. And really, for me, it's just shove all the top and tails that you did for over the month and chucked in your freezer to save them for making your broth in with whatever bones and any other things that you have. Chuck it in a pot with some water. You're done. Um, And yet, like, and this thing has become like 50 questions now that people have had, like, you know, do I do this? Do I do that? And it just reminded me when you said that and you had just described it so beautifully and simply that we still feel we might need a video just to make sure we're doing it right. It's a a good thing that speaks to where we're at, I think. Um, Lots of thinking, not enough feeling maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very true. I think that's absolutely true and, you know, kind of um, our obsession with perfection, um, which is actually like, not I'm um, not even a, a thing that exists <laughs> perfection um, <laughs> thank you so much for pointing that out it's so important keep, to remember we keep thinking it's it's um we keep thinking that it's attainable that there's something attainable there and it's really incredibly disempowering it turns out um but you know what I would just say is um is it's true that you know we don't always need so much instruction but on the other hand, um, the reason I think people feel so uncertain is because uh, only in, you know, kind of recent decades have we stopped really um, kind of passing things down from generation to generation and learning kind of in a cultural way where we kind of almost apprentice. Um, so it's sort of like that. I think that same kind of disconnected feeling and it's like a way of kind of like if you're not kind of connected to these practices, um, whether it be something like bone broth or, or cooking or, you know, because I never cook with a recipe. I really, A, because I'm not good at following rules, but B. <laughs> <laughs> same. My husband's always so upset that I never make the same thing twice. <laughs> right. Like it's sort of always like an adventure. Yeah, but yeah. Um, <laughs> at the same time, it's also because like, you know, in my family cooking, you know, um, you know, my, my aunts are, are Moroccan and cooking is just a huge part of our culture. And so, um, you know, on my dad's side, I grew up with that, um, kind of cooking Moroccan food. And I, and I really incorporated so deeply into my life that like, I don't, I feel very comfortable working with food because it's something that was really like familial and ancestral. And it's sort of, very deeply sort of ingrained in me. And I think for so many of us, there are parts that we, we might have cooking or we might have time out in nature. We might have certain things that have been passed down, but, but we also feel kind of disconnected to our, our past and the practices, these kinds of practices. So that's, that's why I would put up the video or why I think 
those questions is because I think in a way it's also just kind of like looking for connection and kind of reassurance around that connection. Yeah, and it's like we need to just rebuild it again and and welcome people into that space of reconnection. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, now you've mentioned plants a couple of times in um, our chat so far. I would love to know, I know they say no child is a favorite, but do you have a couple of favorite plants? <laughs> it's so funny that you would say that because of course I'm sitting and thinking like, I don't want to, I don't want to neglect anybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're all your children. I know. I get it. You love them all, but go on. I refer to them as my plant babies. Um, <laughs> so I would say, um, like I would say it really it really kind of depends on the day. Okay. Um, you know, because and and kind of where I am because like there are different plants that are, you know, plants again are um they have, you know, in the same way that we have kind of physical, emotional and spiritual kind of components to us, plants too have kind of these physical, emotional and spiritual levels. Mm -hmm. Um you know, and that's part of kind of the, the ethnobotany, right, kind of approaches um, is that we're not just working with something physical or with compounds or chemicals or that kind of thing. So, you know, like, for instance, let's just say like, um, you know, if I'm feeling really, um, you know, tense or anxious, I might be drawn more to like, um, holy basil or Tulsi, mm, you know, I or love I Tulsi. Yeah. I mean, so it's a very calming, first of all, very beautiful. It smells amazing. It's a sacred plant in India, actually. Like it's so sacred that in some communities where it's, um, it's grown in pots, the pots are considered even sacred, um, because the plant is the plant growing in it is so sacred and they're, they're cared for just so tenderly. And, um, so I grow it here and, and, you know, that's just, it's very also regulating to the adrenals. Um, it's very calming and it's, it's just like, it's actually very beautiful kind of, you know, way to connect to the sacred Tulsi. So that might be a plant that I would, I would love and connect with. Um, whereas, you know, maybe like other times I might be, um, more connected to like mint, right. Mm. Which is, um, you know, very stimulating and kind of like, um, strong and, and, uh, that's another one, by the way, that I love to put in a brush of plants, mm. you know, when I'm doing that because it's so kind of pungent. Um, and, uh, so that's another one. I mean, I love, you know, I love also a lot of the sacred plants. I love, you know, tobacco, um, as a plant, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> is there something you need to tell us, Maya? <laughs> Not necessarily in the form of cigarettes or things like that, but actually it's interesting. I mean, you know, one of the things that I, that I like to, to teach about and talk about is, is that being in right relations is, um, about also treating the plant with it, uh, the respect it deserves. And for a lot of these teacher plants, like tobacco or even like, um, you know, coca, the coca plant or the poppy plant, right? These plants that have become, um, you know, drugs of abuse, yeah. you know, that through, through purifying them and kind of 
you know, using just one component and not treating the plant, you know, one might say with respect, um, you know, that's part of this um, important, important relationship that we have with plants is to really go in in right relation and with respect because plants are very many of these plants are very powerful um and uh you know i even see this as um you know as cannabis um you know is becoming more legal you know whether it's for medical purposes or even recreational you know in certain states in the united states where um you know it's it's been quite controversial but you know we we know that the plants, the whole plant is actually can be very therapeutic and in many different conditions from seizures to inflammation to um, chronic pain to cancer. Mm. Right. I mean, you know, the gamut. And yet now we're starting to see it kind of purified in and certain components being taken out, some of which can be therapeutic, but sometimes actually it can actually become addictive. Mm if it's purified and, and used in a way, you know, um, that is, you know, very aggressive. So, um, a lot of herbalists that have worked with, you know, medical marijuana have a lot of concern about, um, you know, using the whole plant versus using these purified ways. And so I'm always thinking very much about these sacred plants, like even tobacco and being in right relations with them and treating them, um, you know, with the respect, um, that, that they, that they deserve because they're, they're powerful, um, you know, from a healing perspective, whether it's physical, emotional, or, or spiritual, but, um, they can also be destructive if we don't, you know, go in a good, we don't go in with the right respect. Mm. Amazing. And such a good point. You know, we, we just treat, abuse, extract, you know, process within an inch of recognition, and sometimes stepping back and looking at the big picture of why that plant exists and in what synergy with the world is going to give us some, some seriously powerful answers. That's, a, that's great. Um, now, there are so many things I want to still ask you. I'm conscious of the time. We've been chatting for an hour now. So I'm seeing a part two already. That's just clear. But, um, <laughs> but um, I would love to ask you back to your profession, which is pediatric neurology. We have a lot of parents who are experiencing a lot of challenges with their kids in our um, low-tox life community. And I would love to ask what your favorite advancement in the um, conventional sense has been in neurology that you've seen in your time in practice but what your favorite advancement also, so a second one, has been in terms of the medical profession perhaps starting to accept um, a, a, a holistic aspect of treatment in the neurology space. Mm. <laughs> and by the way, guys, I'm totally springing this on Maya. I just didn't want to finish today without, you know, sort of bringing it back to what you do day to day and the families you work with. I think it's a special place to end if you don't mind indulging us. No, not at all. I mean, I think, you know, in the conventional neurology world, um, I'm not sure I would say there's a lot of acceptance yet mm. of very much integrative, um, you know, I don't spend a lot of time, I will say, in hospitals. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, I spend, you know, my, my goal is to stay out of hospitals and, you know, help my, help my uh, families do the same. Mm. Um, yeah. so I spent a lot of 
hospitals in my training. But that said, I mean, I think, you know, probably um, the biggest advancement, I'd say, kind of overall in medicine, and I think maybe getting there in neurology is to acknowledge the microbiome as influencing virtually everything from, you know, even the gut-brain connection, mm. right? This is, you know, for those of us who have been doing this for a long time, it feels like, God, finally, you know? Yeah, finally I, I can imagine. Um, but I think, you know, understanding, um, you know, understanding that um, if there's a gut-brain connection, well, that means that, you know, the microbiome is important. That means food it could be important. Um, and, and really thinking about, um, how lifestyle can can influence, um, you know, can influence our our neurologic health um, and even brain development. So I think you know um, the other thing I would say is it it's exciting to me in a certain way that um, you know medical cannabis is really being studied so. Um, you know, broadly now in the pediatric neurology um, setting for for both, you know, intractable seizures, meaning seizures that don't respond to medication, and also even in some cases of autism, um, where we're seeing, you know, real, real benefit. Um, and, uh, you know, I think as, as someone who, who is an herbalist and practices, you know, plant medicine um, in various ways, I think it's exciting that we're, we're recognizing um, that, that plants really can have such strong healing properties because we don't necessarily need to resort to, you know, to cannabis. You know, we can also be looking at other herbs, which is, you know, I use mostly other kinds of plants. Um, in my practice with kids, so I might be using passion flower or chamomile or um, skullcap or other kinds of plants um, for neurologic health. So it's exciting to me also to um, think of doors that are being opened. I think we're kind of on the brink in conventional medicine of considering um, that there could be more um, that plants could offer. I love it. So you're not going to be that kooky doctor at that neurology neurological conference anymore. They're all going to be asking you. So what do you know? Can you be our keynote? I can see it right now. It's funny. I mean, I do give grand rounds now and then in academic settings, and you know, um, I I am kind of the one that like you know my colleagues will um, at least some of them will reach out and kind of text me and say, hey. You know, I have a family in my office that, you know, is using this herb. What do you think of it? Or what could be a family that wants something natural? What do you, what would you recommend? Or can I send them to you, um, you know, to talk about this? Because, you know, I think those of us who are doing this work, but also are, are you know, traditionally and conventionally trained, um, we're, we're offering a bridge between the two worlds. Mm, it's beautiful. And, um, and, and so, so amazing that we live in a time where finally this is, this is coming back into the fold of, of consideration when it comes to treatment and support for families. Um, thank you, Maya. It's been amazing. And I'm going to ask you a question that I ask many of our guests, because when we have these epic chats that twist and turn and go down all sorts of roads, I really like to bring it back to just a couple of really simple key things 
that you find to be the most powerful things to move us towards being happier, healthier, more spiritual beings. So if you could just share to finish three things uh, that would enhance our health, um, that an overwhelmed person who doesn't know where to start could do, what would they be? Um, well, so I would, it takes me always back to dirt. I know. Right? I so knew I, that was going to be your first one. I should have put money on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so I think it's really, um, you know, it's really, you know, connecting with the soil. So that can mean, you know, and connecting with kind of germs and microbes, not over sanitizing, eating fresh food from healthy soil, um, and getting outside into nature, I think are, and that, you know, every day, mm -hmm. every day, making space, whether it's to go outside and, you know, um, hug a tree, or if you're answering texts and you can find, you know, a beautiful rock to sit on while you're doing it, or going for a walk in the woods or on the beach, um, having a, a discipline and a practice around um, just connecting. I mean, obviously, if you can unplug for that time, it's, you're going to benefit, you know, a thousandfold. But um, for me, that's, I think, a huge takeaway is, you know, these are incredible um, sources of healing for us, and, and we're not utilizing them as we could. And they're, they're simple, they're available, they're accessible. And free. And free. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, anything else? Um, well, I think also is just to put not, you know, I think we all, you know, back to kind of that idea of perfection, um, you know, just to know that, that the journey of life is messy and, um, you know, there's no such thing as perfect. That's literally a, a, you know, a box that we put around ourselves or something that we're trying kind of a prison that we impose on ourselves. So, <clears throat> you know, we're not here to to fix anything or fix ourselves or fix our kids. It's really just about, you know, showing up in a, in a mindful way and having gratitude, I think for what we have. And that will really solve like at least 75%, if not more of whatever it is that we're facing. Oh, that is a beautiful way to finish. The journey of life is messy and we're not perfect. Uh, thank you so much, Maya, for this gorgeous chat. Um, true to form, we have tangented much and uh, <laughs> I, um, I really appreciate you taking the time out to share with the Lotox Life community and I wish you over in New York State a beautiful evening, I think, right? Yes, it is. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action. And there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. 
Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.